Hey everyone, it's your host of See Jurassic Right, Stephen Ray Morris here, just dropping in to say, I hope you've been enjoying all the new episodes in 2023 and 2024 so far. There are new interviews with filmmakers, musicians, scientists, the screenwriter of Land Before Time, audio essays about the rich history of the Jurassic Park and Jurassic World franchise, and all the news about the upcoming animated show Jurassic World Chaos Theory and the as-of-yet untitled Jurassic World sequel coming next summer. I really need your help supporting the show right now, and you can do that by leaving a tip and or giving a monthly follow on Patreon, patreon.com slash There are $1 and $5 tiers, but more is coming. Sharing the show, giving five-star reviews in Apple Podcasts, and liking and commenting on social, at Stephen Ray Morris on Instagram and Twitter, goes a long way to help boosting the show's visibility again online in this new era. I'm an independent podcaster and your support is so important and means the world to me in keeping this podcast running. Link to the Patreon is in the show notes. Hold on to your butts. Thank you. And now on to the show. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Alan. 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 Jurassic right Bathing ember light See Jurassic right See Jurassic right Right, right See Jurassic right Right, right See Jurassic right Right, right See Jurassic right See Jurassic right See Jurassic Park Welcome back to See Jurassic Right, a podcast about Jurassic Park and you. 
I'm your host, Stephen Ray Morris, and today's episode is all about Jurassic Park 3. We're doing a close reading on Joe Johnson's third entry into the Jurassic Park franchise, and well, we didn't know it at the time, but it was the end of the first era of Jurassic as we knew it. You just heard a flurry of voices reenacting a bit of surreal flair featured early on in Jurassic Park 3, and I wonder, do Alan's dream of feathered raptors? But first, some stats and a little background info to brush up on. Jurassic Park 3 was released on July 18, 2001 in the United States. An emblem entertainment film released by Universal, it was directed by Joe Johnson with a screenplay by Peter Buckman, Alexander Payne, yes, the Alexander Payne, and Jim Taylor, with an uncredited rewrite from John August. It was executive produced by Steven Spielberg, produced by Kathleen Kennedy, and also Larry Franco. The film was shot by Shelley Johnson, edited by Robert Dalva, with sound by Christopher Boys. It features a score by Don Davis with visual effects by Industrial Light and Magic. And it stars Sam Neill, William H. Macy, Taya Leone, Alessandra Nivola, Trevor Morgan, Michael Jeter, John Deal, Bruce A. Young, Taylor Nichols, Mark Herlich, Julio Oscar Machoso, and Laura Dern. I first saw it in theaters in 2001, the summer before I entered high school. You can hear some of my recollections in episode one. For today's close reading of four key scenes from Jurassic Park 3, I was joined by Assis Sandu of Jurassic Outpost, the premier place for all Jurassic news on the net. Assis is very vocal online about his love for JP3, and his enthusiasm of the flick delights me to no end when it pops up on the In General podcast or on Twitter. But where did his love begin? Oh yeah, this is the first uh, Jurassic Park movie and probably the only one before the uh, Jurassic Park 3D re-release that I saw in theaters for the first time because I was old enough finally. Um, I distinctly having this, I have this one memory. Um, I think it was opening weekend because my I was bugging my parents the entire summer like we're Jurassic Park, Jurassic Park, we're going, we're going, we're going. And I have this memory of my dad, my sister and I going to go watch the movie. And I, I don't remember actually watching the movie. All, the only like scene I remember distinctly in my head still is when the Velociraptor comes up to Alan Grant and like kind of roars and then looks over to the other Velociraptor. That's the only thing I remember from that movie uh, during that you know first viewing, uh, which is you know crazy considering how much I love that movie. But um, I think what I remember more than actually watching the movie is the run up to it. Like I remember Burger King or some something like that. Some burger joint had like these cool dinosaur cups and they have like spinosaur like cookies you put some frosting on it and stuff and the toys the toys were fantastic i love those toys I still have so many of them you know um i think i remember that more than the actual movie for some reason While Assis's love of JP3 hits on a level of primal satisfaction, my other guest on today's episode, Brittany Mason, feels more akin to the childlike nostalgia we all take for granted when it comes to taste. I, I, I this is really embarrassing, um, but I, Jurassic Park 3 is the first of the movies that I saw. Um, my parents never took us to the movies or anything. They were like, they didn't really care about movies. Um, so they, I mean, they just, any, basically any movie that came out before like 2005 or like before when my older sister could drive, we just, we never saw unless we saw it on TV. So um, I think at some point in the early 2000s, I saw uh, the third movie on 
like TNT because they used to play like on TNT on the weekends they would play probably the whole series um yeah 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 no I totally remember that yeah but for some reason I only saw or I only remember seeing the third one on TV um and not knowing what was going on but but being like people talk about these movies so I'm gonna watch this so like I know what people are talking about um even though starting at the third one would not help me have conversations with people but um but yeah I I remember watching it and it it like it terrified me um there were there were like parts of it that definitely caused a lot of nightmares um so I think that after I watched that one, I was like, uh, I don't know about all these. Maybe, maybe I should wait. I just, I think I didn't realize that they were supposed to be scary. I think I was like, oh, these movies about dinosaurs. <laughs> like, um, And then I had a bunch of nightmares about like specific scenes in Jurassic Park 3. And so I was like, uh, I don't know. Um, but but I eventually did watch the other ones. Um, I I definitely remember watching the first one and being like, oh my gosh, this is so like these people. I really liked um, that they that like Alan loved dinosaurs. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, and he, he yeah. If you start with the third one, it's it's on the other side of love. Yeah, and I, I really like the first one is so like awe and wonder, and I, I, I really liked that. Um, when I, when I eventually watched it, I was like, this is so much nicer. Britney's voice sounds somewhat familiar, it's because her sister, journalist and podcaster Heather Mason was a big part of episode two. And she had this to say when describing her younger sister. What can I say about my younger sister, the one who's been with me through it all my entire life, who remembers more than I even do, who gets mistaken for my twin, the best human being in the world, Brittany Mason. She's smart. She graduated from Georgia State University with a degree in political science. And now she's getting a master's degree because she's the smarter of the two sisters. And she is getting a degree in policy something. (laughs) Sounds right. She takes care of the next generation of children in this world through nannying some wonderful children who enjoy Star Wars and dinosaurs and all of the things that we enjoy. I'm a nanny now, and my um, one of my boys loves dinosaurs. Like he's so passionate about dinosaurs that I like see it, and I'm like, I get this passion. I didn't feel that as a child, but I like I totally understand the passion. Is he like just knows all the dinosaurs' names and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. Yeah, I was listening to like the first episodes of of your podcast and you talked about like when you were a kid and you like carried around the encyclopedia or whatever. And that like him, that's him. Like he care like he has 
all of the dinosaur encyclopedia books and like he has he he like would we would check out books from the library and he would sit and copy all of the names of the dinosaurs that were in each of the books and like categorize them and make lists and and like by feature and by like all the, I, it was completely over my head um but he would be like these are all the types that have two claws and these are all the types that only like swim in water and these are the and I'd be like that's fascinating like I don't know any of this um, whoa, whoa it's that's like like looking into a mirror <laughs> yeah he's yeah it was great and we had like he we he would write them all down and then we would have this time after school that we would set aside aside every day to he would pick like five dinosaur names and we would google them and he'd like to like see like what they look like or what people thought they looked like and their characteristics and stuff and so that was like a really special he i have three kids that i'm nanny for so it was like a very special one-on-one time that he and I would would do this together. And I so now I'm like, I love dinosaurs. Dinosaurs are wonderful. And she told me that she liked Jurassic Park three, which was, you know, it was a, it was a pivotal moment in our in our sisterhood. But I forgave her, and we're still we're still close now to this day. So I was really happy that she got to talk about something she loves so much um, from our time spent watching reruns of different things on TNT as children, like early, early episodes of ER with George Clooney. But that's another discussion. What are Heather's thoughts on Jurassic Park 3? I remember, I remember enjoying it. I remember thinking it was scary, even as an adult. I, remember, I think that's one of the ones I, I think I actually did see that one in the theater for like an anniversary thing. Um, I remember, I definitely remember enjoying the movies, still thinking they're scary, but not in like a horror, like in a horror movie way. I, but I, I didn't feel like I was tied enough to the franchise where I was like judging it harshly. So Jurassic Park 3 elicited some unique responses from past and present guests, including Christina Nielsen, Jess Uncle, Chris Bramante, Annie Wilkes, and Simon Nathan. Um, my first memory of Jurassic Park is actually not the original. Um, I think it was Jurassic Park 3. Uh, I know. Um, but it's my first memory memory of it that I recall that pretty sure my parents borrowed the movie from like my uncle and that they watched it my sister and I saw the end and then my parents were like ah what the heck like let's have them watch it too (laughs) so we I remember watching that and uh now I feel like I need to back up that's the one where what I remember most about watching it is that the T-Rex when it like gets onto the mainland that it grabs like a doghouse, right? Uh, Am I wrong? That's the lost world, but yeah. Damn it. It's the end of the second one. <laughs> I'm horrible. Um, I know a lot of people think that, um, you know, the third one is a little bland, but 
I think it's got its own flavor. And the beginning of that movie is horrifying. Horrifying. Um, what would be your favorite part of Jurassic Park 3? Oh my gosh. Um, I really like um, I really like just Alan Grant being back. <laughs> um, his attitude throughout the entire film is my favorite part. He's so, so tired of being there. He's exhausted. Like, they, these people drag, I'm pretty sure they, they tricked him, right, into being there, and he's fed up. This is the last place he wanted to be, and you feel that, and you, it is so easy to relate if you put yourself in his shoes, and the movie becomes completely different after you do that. Oh, I, I completely agree, 100%. Yeah. Alan was the protagonist at the, I would say, of number one. Yeah. And so seeing him return again grounds it. And then once the family, once the... Um, the Kirby's. The Kirby's. Once the Kirby's and Alan are on their survival mission together and it just turns into escape, escaping sequences, that's when I enjoy it again. That's when it feels like the world is removed. What Alan's focusing on is a little clear, the language and the communication element. And I think the Jurassic Park 3 knows what it's about. Even though I think that the CG is not, is probably the least rendered of the three, of the four films, at least in the version I was just watching of it. I mean, I rented it on Amazon. I'd say so. It feels a little underdeveloped. It felt like I was, you know, all of a sudden... It's the closest in visual to Disney's uh, Dinosaur, which is <laughs> not a great film. No. Sorry, everybody who made it. <laughs> the lemurs. I mean, you know what? Not sorry. Why did you put le- <laughs> lemurs didn't exist? What they said was they did. They put the lemurs in because they were looking up mammals of the time of the Cretaceous period. And they said they were ugly. It's like, yeah, but they lived. So you're putting <laughs> lemurs, which didn't come until like millions of years later. <laughs> It's very weird. And, I have no and, idea. And the lemurs are like the main characters. Yeah. It's, it's this iguanodon who was raised by lemurs, which could never have happened. <laughs> but anyway, I feel For like... all the dinosaur heads out there, <laughs> yeah. we're taking shots at you. Yeah. Yeah, um, sorry. That's, that's what they're called, the people who are fans of Disney's dinosaur. Dinosaur heads. Which is essentially also just Land Before Time. And like, I'm cool. Like, I'm actually cool. Like, if they brought in William H. Macy, though, I don't know anything like he would add. He like, what, he owns like a, like a, um, a, a painting. Yeah, imp- yeah, empire, like a painting empire yeah. in middle America. So I, I just want science, man. I want more science. It'd be funny now that you're saying that. Imagine William H. Macy's character, uh, uh, Paul. I feel like he's somebody who would take advantage of, oh, no, he of, definitely of, re- of his experience and he'd have like Kirby's paint and tile plus is like turned into like it has like lots it has like like really crappy like dinosaur statues like outside this front door. It's like meet the get your paint and tile done from the guy who survived the the you know encounter with the dinosaur yeah. and like all the paint like all the different things are like dinosaur pun names and stuff just like totally hawking it like yeah he totally wrote a book and he never had to sign an NDA so he took like he could like claim all the rights but it's very poorly written and it's very embellished I like, mean really it's just this is a backdoor prequel to Fargo really <laughs> it is. Jurassic Park 3 <laughs> is a is the prequel cool to, to Fargo, Fargo. <laughs> It's okay. It's a more interesting movie now. 
I like the humor in the third film, the black comedy, and it really worked for me as the third film in the context of what it was. I was ready to laugh at dinosaurs, and I still am. Jurassic Park 3 is equal parts vaudevillian cartoon, humans and dinosaurs tumbling out of gags, defying physics, and a cynical descent into absurdity. Dinosaurs are talking, franchise favorites from T-Rex to Malcolm to Grant and Sattler shippers are getting roasted left and right. But at the center of it all is Sam Neill's weary as fuck performance as Dr. Alan Grant. Sick of everyone's shit, but too tired to object, struggling to survive out of spite. Yet, is there a form of transcendence when you've given up all hope? Assis and Brittany have hope. So without further ado, let's dive in. Dr. Grant is in a lecture hall. Fossils, raptors. He's theorizing that raptors could have become the dominant species on Earth had it not been for the extinction. He holds for applause. Please clap. Any questions? All hands rise. So does anyone have a question that does not relate to Jurassic Park? Or the San Diego incident? Which I did not witness. Most hands go down. Then this 90s looking motherfucker says, Your theory on raptors is good and all, but isn't all this conjecture moot? When the government figures out what to do with that second island, scientists will just go in and look for themselves. Gritting his teeth, Dr. Grant says something he's probably prepared a million times in front of the mirror. Dinosaurs went extinct 65 million years ago, and what is left of them is fossilized in the rock, and that's where the real discoveries are made. What John Hammond created was engineered theme park monsters, nothing more and nothing less. Then a preppy grad student goes, well, you wouldn't want to go to Isla Sorna and study them if you had the chance? Grant wearily smiles. No force on heaven or earth could get me on that island. Yeah, so Grant starts off saying, you know, there's just like monsters and nothing more, nothing less, just theme park monsters, you know? Um, I think the lecture scene is especially important. It gives us a, a wide look at um, not only Alan Grant's perspective, his views on the raptors, which are very important, I think, like we mentioned earlier on, the, the whole mic drop, like, the raptors are, or could have been the dominant species on the planet. Uh, but what I found most interesting about this was how the director and the entire creative team decided to tackle the way the world is now, how the world has changed since the first two movies. Because, like, let's be real, like, it's a lecture hall, a bunch, you know, Alan Grant's talking about dinosaurs, but the people in the hall... They're not there for the dinosaurs, right? They're there to hear about Jurassic Park and then the San Diego stuff, right? And like, as the as the lecture is going, people are starting to leave because no one cares about you know the raptors and like, oh, they could have been the dominant species. Oh, that's cool, but you know what? We're here, so who cares, right? Um, what I found specifically very important was uh the two speakers how they both mention um the Isla Nublar and Isla Sorna, like 
would you go back there to study the thing? He's like, no. And then... Well, when they go to the island, then, you know, the they'll, like, answer all your questions. So it's, what's the point of theorizing? Yeah, exactly. So, like, why theorize? We can just go to the island and study these things. But like Grant said, they're just monsters, right? But apparently not. Um, this is, like, it shows, like, people in the world, they don't really... They don't really care that they're dinosaurs. I wouldn't say they don't care, but they like, they're not like, oh my God, there are dinosaurs on the planet. They're like more like, you know, let's go, let's go look, let's go figure it out. Right. The world has changed such a point where like, we're just not fascinated by these dinosaurs anymore. I think even Jurassic World like adds to this. I think Jurassic Park 3 started it. Jurassic World like adds to that with the hybrids and stuff like that. Like people don't care about dinosaurs. The world is changing. Right. Alan Grant is stuck in his ways once he wants to talk about the, the bones and the fossils and what could have been instead of looking in the future and like let's go look at these dinosaurs right at the way they are right now the way they're acting and uh he's just he's just stuck to his old ways and i think that begins to change as the movie progresses but i think the lecture scene is probably the most important scene in the entire movie but you know yeah. This like the, the the opening of this movie shows Grant in regression because it's not about um, curiosity for something new. It's about, um, well, this is the way things used to be. So I still want it to stay that way. You know, adding to that point, that's a, that's a good point, because like very soon after that, the, the dinner scene with Laura Dern character and uh, and and uh, Alan Grant, I think that adds to the electro scene because like you said, he's stuck in the past, right? He doesn't want to move forward. He's talking with Ellie about how they sounded, you know? Like, do you remember these things, right? And then little does he know he's about to encounter the next step, the next evolution of these these creatures, right? The next level. Um, he's like he almost has PTSD in a way. I've I think I've tried to argue this before on the uh on my podcast. And uh, you know, I think he's like he has these mem like he still remembers the scenes, the things he witnessed on uh the first island and the, during the first movie. Like, he's so stuck to these visions. Like, like he's almost trying to repress them, you know, by talking about the bones and, like, what could have been. When he knows the reality of the situation, right, he knows what these things can do. It's like, he's, he, he almost doesn't want to accept the fact that they're there while the rest of the world around him has accepted it and kind of, like, you know, they're kind of over it by the time Jurassic World rolls around. Like, yeah, we know. It's, it's, it's not a new thing. We know they're around whatever it's another product it's another piece of science who cares move on right what's the next thing right and yeah. i think that are like like that adds the, the whole change factor of alan grant's character arc too like he's stuck in his ways refusing to uh, accept the change and then once the movie goes on of course he changes and starts to accept it and see these monsters these these created organisms these uh attractions as like you know living animals and like entities and he moves forward as a character which is like I said, Jurassic Park three is all about the change, you know. No, it's a very it's a very strong stance to start off at the beginning of a movie with dinosaurs in it. Yeah, where like the pitch is like dinosaurs. <laughs> like, um, yeah, I I like that he. I mean, now watching it and knowing that he's like doing callbacks to the first and the second movie, which I like at the time didn't realize, which. I think it's cool when movies do that, when like if you don't know, you don't know, and it doesn't matter that you don't know. But um, when he's talking about like, oh, San Diego, like I wasn't a part of that. And um, yeah, I mean, I think that like 
it, it to me it makes sense as far as like character development goes of like like things went really bad in the first and the second movies <laughs> like pretty terrible things happened so it i mean as much as like i think you'd still love the thing that you love it it makes sense that he's like this is i'm i'm disassociating myself from this thing that's happening because i love the thing that i love and i don't know how to reconcile that the thing that i love tried to kill me and then tried to kill a bunch of people like in a major u.s city yeah i mean they haven't really had room to play with that idea of like the ptsd of like surviving a dinosaur attack but i would find it really interesting if they ever you know, I mean, there might be more room for that now that we're going to get this new trilogy where, like, it's guaranteed that at least, like, uh, Bryce Dallas Howard and Chris Pratt are probably going to be in all three of them. So maybe there's yeah. some room to explore that and Malcolm's coming back. So, you know, who knows? Maybe they'll put a nod to it or something like that. But it's almost like these characters' PTSD is sort of, like, getting in the way of them enjoying the adventure with ev- like with everyone else. <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess it's also a major plot point in this one where they, they like straight up have to kidnap him. Grant wakes up from being knocked out, realizing that it's already too late. Billy, tell me we didn't land on this island. Billy's like, I don't know. Eric, Ben. I think they're looking for someone, says Billy, shrugging Amanda's voice, blaring madly from a megaphone outside the plane. The men with guns get ready. Who hit me? demanded Alan to the bony and frail Paul, who was trying to apologize. Uh, that would be Cooper. They're setting up a perimeter so the area is safe. On this island, there's no such thing as safe. We have to get back on that plane. And could you tell your wife to stop doing that? It's a very bad idea. Alan watches in horror at Amanda and Paul's exchange, hurrying through a megaphone. Again, this is a very bad idea. That's when they hear it, coming from the jungle, a roar unlike any other. That's a tyrannosaurus. It sounds bigger. They get on the plane. As they're, <laughs> as they're taking off... Cooper runs out from the forest, arm limping, and he looks hurt. And then Alan's like, that looks like Cooper. And then Nash is like, don't do it. I'm going to. And then, you know, the plane sort of hits the spino. And then they land in the trees. And it's like. It's like an airplane ballet. And now they're stuck in the tree. Grant rolls his eyes. Ugh, I. He knew they were going to die the moment they stepped on the island. Nash gets the phone, and then Amanda sees the spino, but nobody else does to hilarious uh, results. But then Nash gets eaten, and then the and then they all like as the plane falls and crunches on the ground, and then the spino starts flipping it and punching it, and you know it rolls around, and everyone's having a good time, not really, but they make it away from the spinosaurus. And that's when they catch a break. Or do they? A baby T-Rex, possibly the baby Rex from the Lost World all grown up, is eating a dead Parasaurolophus. Nobody move a muscle, says Dr. Grant. I've been here before. I know what I'm talking about. But then the T-Rex roars, and everyone runs anyway, and Grant rolls his eyes and is like, all right, well, I guess I'm running. 
And then all of a sudden it's Clash of the Titans up in here when the T-Rex and the Spinosaurus square off. And Grant's like, whoa, like rolling around. And then the Spinosaurus snaps the T-Rex's neck and falls to the ground. It is the champion. He, he has so much trauma that he's like, I can't, I can't do this. And they're like, ha ha, we kidnapped you. Like, that's like a funny thing when, when, I mean, this man is clearly like not okay. And he, he's like having the worst day ever almost. Like this movie is Alan Grant's worst day. <laughs> it is. Uh, it's so sad. I mean, when you think about it like that, but I mean, I feel like they, do i don't know if it's a good or a bad thing but they do a good job of like it is funny yeah no it's um like that part's funny where you're like you know yeah when he wakes up and he's just like billy tell me we didn't land on the island yeah um yeah i mean i i find it so funny and i feel like i've been this weird champion for this movie like kind of describing it as a black comedy uh yeah. because i mean i think one because um, it was Alexander Payne who did um, Sideways and About Schmidt and The Descendants. He has a writing credit on this film, and I just see, I just see so much of like this guy who is like, I've been here before. I've, I mean, not to the island specifically, but like, yeah, I've been around dinosaurs before. I know what I'm talking about. Why is nobody listening to me? Like, I'm dreaming of raptors. The kid can like can fend off dinosaurs better than the adults can. Like, am I crazy or what? Like, he he's just like he's so done. Like, he yeah he, he literally can't. Like, that's the whole movie. <laughs> I know. It's I mean, which is funny. Like throughout the movie. Um, you know, this scene. It's I think one of my favorite scenes in the entire franchise. Again, uh. It's just a good combination of everything. There's a sound, score, action, you know, character moments. But what I found interesting was when Alan Grant says, no, it's something bigger. Like, it almost, like, the audience, like, the the viewers, like, you and I, you know, our friends, family, all those guys like that. It's like, we're the, we're Nash, we're Udesky, we're Cooper, we're the, we're the kids in the lecture hall, you know? It's like, we expected one thing. And then Alan Grant's like, okay, let me come in there. Let me tell you what it's what, what it's actually like. You know, it's like, is that a T-Rex? No, because Billy's like, he's Billy's one of us. Like he's like, you know, a student. He doesn't know much. He's all ready to see dinosaurs. He's like, oh look, it's a dinosaur. Let me take a picture. You know, I'm so amped for this, you know? And it's like, is a T-Rex? Like, no, it's something bigger. And like that's when the movie becomes real for me. Yeah, as far as practical effects go, the moment when the uh the plane is crushed and the windows all pop out i mean it is is still like such an a um um such a memorable kind of iconic moment where you're like i mean this thing is is destroying an airplane like it that's crazy like the t-rex destroyed like one jeep right one jeep like this thing is like ripping up the hull it's like shoving its face in there like the t-rex did it's like kicking you around it's like what is this new threat it's like you know it, it's it's pretty impressive like the cast i think like they filmed for like three weeks or something in that like that plane hull and like like you said the practical effects were fantastic like it adds that level of 
depth, realism, and like you know fear. Like you're there with the characters as they're rolling around inside the the plane, and it's just like it's a great blend of like it's what Jurassic Park is. It's that sphere, that practical effects that put you right in there with the with the uh, with the guys, the actors and actresses, and it's just like that entire sequence is fantastic. You know. No, I agree. I um, yeah, it it. It, it's fun in the way that you're still scared for them. You know how you're saying you're, you're right there in it, you mm-hmm. know, like with Lex and Tim in the, the Explorer or, um, you know, Nick and Sarah and Ian in the trailer. It's just like, this is a scary situation, but as an audience member, you're like, you're like, this is the part of the ride where you're like going to the top of the roller coaster and now you're about to go down and go through all the twists and the turns and stuff. It, it the, the plane scene feels very much like a really fun roller coaster and it's sort of then they run away, you know, they manage to escape and they run out and they get this moment, this breathing moment <laughs> where they where they just run back in through the trees and they just are like... Whew, you know, it's like all you know. We're going back up the roller coaster again, and then the T Rex appears, and then you're shooting right back down again. Like in in that that scene where he's like, you know, he's like, uh, they they've like they're being chased by the dinosaur, the spinosaurus, I think, and he's like, oh, good, like I think we lost it, which is like a ter- like you should know not to say that. <laughs> it's just this like thirty seconds of like this is fantastic like it's amazing <laughs> i just i love it yeah his face is so like oh i can't catch a break like, yeah you know and it's that and it's that thing too where it's like in the first movie it's all about how like dinosaurs can't see movement and stuff and then he says this he's the expert and nobody listens to him and runs and he's just like like he's like rodney dangerfield like getting no respect you know like yeah, this ship—it's like one threat after another. It's like it's like a ride, like you said. It's like ups and downs, ups and downs. But like the ups are so high, and the downs are like they're not very low. It's like no actual breathing space in this movie. It's like it's like a continuous ride, and it's something I really admire about this movie. It's like it can pack in these little character moments, these little arcs, all the while giving you the the thrills that you want from a Jurassic Park movie. But like amped up to the next level because Jurassic Park and the Lost World they have a lot of space in between like the dinosaur attacks and stuff but with this it's like boom 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 one threat one threat I know after another one after another it's like an hour and a half it's like a dangerous roller coaster it's fantastic yeah it's 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 and it's just kind of hitting me now this movie really is all dinosaur oh yeah for sure they don't even they don't get like a happy a happy dinosaur moment like at all. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. This movie doesn't have the like, I mean, when they're sitting in the plane overlooking, but it's almost like overshadowed by the fact that like nobody's listening again, like nobody's listening to Grant. Yeah. It's just, yeah. it's just immediate terror. They're really pushing the like really intense Spinosaurus as like bigger and more powerful than T-Rex. It's, I find it very interesting that by that same token, when the Spinosaurus and the T-Rex fight, Grant is the one caught in the middle. It's almost like the movie is sort of saying, look, these are dinosaurs, mother effer. Like, 
you know, it's sort of like <laughs> forcing him to confront this reality that he's in, you know, in that moment, you know, no, it's bigger earlier. And now it's right in his face and he's comparing the two and he's, 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 yeah, he's right there in the middle of it. All right. You know what? Let's talk about this fight. Cause I, I really, really love this dinosaur fight. I feel like everyone was saying how short it was. But um, but the like, more it's it's like it's reality though it's it's so brutal and quick right like you have this apex predator in the T Rex and like you have this force of nature this like oddity and just it, like Jack Horner says it could literally cause an extinction on the island it just comes in and destroys the T Rex like the star of the first two movies just comes in there and just just it shows you like yeah I'm the new person on the block like it, this is my island now. And it's like it's 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 like such an animalistic fight. It's so brutal. There's something really like animalistic and so brutal about this fight that the speed and like the length of the fight itself in Jurassic Park Three is like it's kind of appropriate in my opinion. No, I like that. I, I it's it, it it works as a statement of being like all the things that you love and hold dear of this franchise are not safe and exactly and at the same time it is very. Um, it, yeah, it feels, it it feels less cinematic in a way because it's like, no, these two animals fight. And this one is clearly, um, this one is clearly the, the, the larger, the larger species and it's the tougher thing. And it's gonna, it isn't a a fight that's romantic or or beautiful or necessarily means anything. It's just, it's just savage. It's an ugly fight. Like the the Spinosaur breaks the T Rex's neck. Like that's that's a pretty brutal conclusion to the fight, you know. Yeah, as a kid, like people were getting into like discussions on like the online forums and like like YouTube videos. Like, uh, and, like real life, this T Rex had like this bite force, and like the Spinosaur was actually like this small. Like he couldn't eat a T Rex or whatever. I'm like, but this movie sets up the Spinosaur as the next thing, right? He the the spinosaurus like I say he but the spinosaurus like snaps the T Rex neck and then like throws it on the ground, which seems absolutely insane. And I don't know if that would be a thing that a dinosaur would do. Oh, that they but, that they, like two different predators would like fight each other in that kind of way. Yeah, and then he just like snaps his neck and is like done. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> like, re-watching this now being like, is that a thing that a dinosaur would do? Like, is that a thing that you are capable of, like, just snapping its neck and it being done? Yeah, like, I, it's very, like, a wrestling or, like, karate kind of thing. Or or not karate, but, you know, just, yeah. like, Street Fighter, Mortal Kombat or something. Yeah, it's all very... Which which fits for this movie of just being like utterly ridiculous of this, you know, I'm just going to snap its neck and like throw it on the ground right in front of you. And like, that's what I can do. And they're like, ah, and they all run away. They're like, um, oh, this dinosaur means business. Yeah, right. Which just seems crazy. But I don't know. I don't know if that's scientifically possible or not, but it's. It it definitely felt like it was adding to the ridiculousness of the movie of just being like, like these dinosaurs are walking around snapping necks, like that. That's what we're all into right now. Like, 
That's what we're up against. Yeah, which is just so crazy. Grant, Billy, Amanda, and Paul look out over the vista down into a valley, and they spot a, a lab or something. As far as I'm concerned, it's the Four Seasons. They walk in. They see technology. They're like, oh, is the phone working? Doesn't work. Then the vending machines. Uh, Billy takes it upon himself to break into the vending machines. Paul tries admirably. As they're walking through the lab, Amanda looks at the weird dinosaur fetuses, the unidentified dinosaur fetuses, and just curiously, so this is how you make dinosaurs? And Grant is like, no, this is how you play God. Then Amanda looks at what looks like a floating raptor head inside of a tank, but turns out the raptor's alive, and then it chases them through the lab, and all of a sudden, they're like in a, you know, like a horse stable-y kind of place, and they trap the raptor in there, but then all of a sudden, it's calling for help. Um, and so they run out back into the jungle, uh, but the raptor is just making this, like, I can't do the noise. Um, and then that's when we see other velociraptors and, and an alpha female. So the raptors in this movie, the, the males are blue with little red feathers. And then the alpha female, the Moby Dick whale, uh, she's all freckled and spotted and stuff. And it's really cool. And then our heroes, Grant, Billy, Amanda, Paul, Udesky, run out. Uh, and they are jumping and flopping around some Corythosauruses and some Parasaurolophuses and stuff. And Grant grabs Billy's pack as they're tumbling through the, the, the high grass. Uh-oh. Udesky's caught. And then up from the trees, Amanda and Billy and Paul, they see Udesky's body on the ground, but he's still alive. And then they try to go down to them, but the raptors were waiting the whole time. They set a trap. They actually set a goddamn trap. Meanwhile, Grant is trying to figure out what the raptors are saying. He's like, what are you? I want to understand. And then and then a raptor comes and is about to eat him. Just, you know, they're surrounded. You know, the raptors are surrounding him just like old times. But then smoke bomb. And then somebody comes in, a little shorty comes in and grabs Grant by the hands and takes him inside of a Jeep container thing where it's like a little Robinson Crusoe safe house. Turns out it's Eric Kirby, Paul and Amanda's son. He's been alive on the island for eight weeks. Um, Grant is very, very thankful to have been rescued by this child um, and astonished that he's alive. Eric is like, you're Alan Grant. Like, I'm meeting this celebrity in the middle of this island where I've, you know, it's crazy time. You know, sometimes you're not ready to meet your heroes. That's what I'm saying. Um, they share a can of beans, some stories. Uh, Eric mentions that he liked uh, Alan, Alan Grant's uh, first book. You know, you liked dinosaurs back then. Um, also, uh, somehow Eric Kirby has T-Rex pee. You don't want to know. Um and then they both share their opinions on Malcolm. Um, chaos, chaos, everything chaos. It was kind of like the guy was high on himself. Alan is, of course, being like, that's two things we have in common. And then... Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Geeky Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello 
Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Copies. Little compsognathuses that eat a bug. It's very cute. Yes, that's like my one of my favorite moments of the entire movie is when he's like, who has change for the machine? Like, it only takes quarters. And he's like digging in his like cargo pants pockets and Billy just, you know, breaks that baby right open. And it's just so funny. I don't know why I thought it was so funny, but. No, I I don't. It's definitely to me one of the funniest moments in the entire movie and like. I mean, it, again, just like against this backdrop of like brilliant humans creating dinosaurs, playing God. And it's like, <laughs> and then he just like can barely kick down the, he can't kick down the vending. That's great. Yeah. Which I mean, it, again, to me follows this, like humans are so dumb. Like how did we become the, the rulers of the world, quote unquote, when like, I mean, we there's just so many things that he can't get done, like, which is just it's great. I, I think the, the the there's that moment of clarity. This is this is this movie is Frankenstein's lab, you know, and we have the in the form of the Spinosaur, the Pteranodons. Oh, wow. Sure. And uh, um, and the Raptors. It's almost like <laughs> past, present and future. And. The Spinosaur is sort of the past, the sort of brutality of these savage animals. And the Pteranodons are the present because they're the things that can get off the island and spread. And then the raptors sort of represent the future um, because they're sort of the the potential of what these dinosaurs can become. Well, uh, you just blew my mind. That's that's like. That's that's impressive. That's like some symbolism. It's fantastic. I love that. That's crazy. Which makes you kind of wonder, like, you know, what would have what would have been if, you know, Indian hadn't have gone under? Where would the world be right now, you know? Like the power, the immense power and the dangerous like biology and like technology we've created, like it could it could take us out once again. We can revert, revert back to a prehistoric world where the prehistoric is fighting back against us, as it is on like on these islands. Like each movie has the prehistory attacking the current history, right? And the current history barely makes it off the island every time. So it makes you wonder: what if InGen didn't fail and just keep and the technology kept prolif- pro- proliferating? Right? It's just an interesting thought, like you said. It's it's the past, present, and future. It's very interesting. Well, and, and to that, to the, to the point of this scene too, Amanda asks, you know, is this how you make dinosaurs? And Grant is like, no, this is how you play God. And it's like, 
Well, <laughs> the the original movie alludes to the fact that man destroys God. Uh, so. Oh wow! Okay, sure. So, uh, so I feel like this was their kind of nod to that moment of like, well, if we're playing God, well then somebody's going to come along and destroy us. Is it going to be these dinosaurs that, you know, and like you're saying, you know, it's, if they escape, it's, it could be Grant's nightmare could, uh, Grant's dream could come true, you know, in that way. Hmm. It's kind of like a role reversal. If you think about it, you know how it's like in the first movie, it's, that just blew my mind. I'm trying to figure this out because I've never thought about it like this before. My mind is blown. I'm trying to grasp this in like a way that makes sense to me. God creates man, man destroys God, right? And Dinosaurs eat man. Woman inherit the earth if we're lucky. Um, if if we're lucky, yeah. <laughs> we need more. We need more Ellie Sattler in these movies. Where's Ellie Sattler? She's. Ugh, we need more of her. Forget about Jeff Goldblum and uh, Alan Grant. I want. I want Laura Dern back. Yeah, I. That's. If we can have one little PSA in the middle of this entire podcast, it's, uh, you know, Laura Dern, we miss you. Laura Dern, come back to us, please. Jurassic Park 6, please. Jurassic World 3, whatever you want to call it. At this point, we all, I think we all know, listeners probably all know that, like, Steven Spielberg wanted to do, like, military dinosaurs, which is not a bad idea, in my opinion, just saying. <laughs> um, maybe like in Gen wanted to create like an army or something. I don't know. We don't know that. We, like, Jurassic Park three could have been that huge, like mythology movie, which I still think it is. But it could have been. It could have dug deeper into the mythology, like you said. And it's a bit of missed potential. And like the scene was supposed to be longer. I think. I think Jack Delamare and I were talking about it once on the podcast. It's like they had like they were supposed to spend the night there or something, and like. Raptors are supposed to break in. We're supposed to discover more of the in-gen background. It's like, I would I would have loved that. This, that would have made the movie, in my opinion, as good as Jurassic Park 1. I know it's a blast for me to say, but it's like, they're such different movies, in my opinion. Like, we got, like, the, the Discovery movie in Jurassic Park 1 and, like, the pure mythology in Jurassic Park 3, so. That's fascinating. I actually didn't know that about, uh, I, I don't feel like I knew that whole detail about how the scene was supposed to be longer. I mean, it really, this is the scene that is taken from, from the lost world novel. It's, it's the scene where the characters are going through the factory and wandering through and sort of in the, in the lost world novel, Malcolm sort of explaining like, ah, you know, this makes sense. Like they would have had to do this and they had to deal with this problems. And again, like you're saying, getting into the mythology and the backstory, you know, in Jurassic park three is just not, in a way, it's it's hinting at all this stuff, but it's um, it's it's more preoccupied with almost the pure absurdity of it. You know, the idea, the hubris that mm-hmm. we would have created all this to think that we could get away with this. But but that scene in particular was one of the ones that I had like major nightmares about. Um, oh really? Yeah, I thought that like like the when when she puts her her face up against the glass and it's all murky and you can see like the, the, the Raptor's face, you know, and you're clear, like you're yelling at her, like it's, that's a real one. That's a real one. Um, and she doesn't notice until it like tries to eat her. But, but when they, when they're trapped and they have like the door against them 
and the raptors trying to climb up the the like they kind of put themselves in a cage which they seem to do a lot in this movie yeah um but which is like a big a big fear of mine um so they're like they like put themselves completely in this cage and then the raptor they realize that the top is open at the same time the raptor realizes that the the top is open um which was just terrifying you know and then it's it it's trapped them in this this sort of cage that they kind of made for themselves and then you know taylor saves the day by (laughs) smashing it against the the other side of the fence but the role reversal is fantastic in this movie. Like if you think about it, like you said before, you know, uh, man is playing God now, right? And in the first movie, it's like man destroys God. And then man's creation is destroying God, which is us now. Like we're being pushed into the brink of existence. I mean, brink of extinction now, like on this island, at least, you know, we're being pushed into these cages. We're being pushed around. We're being forced to fight for our survival. It's like it's that first movie's line, the little line, line of dialogue, that little fun little bit everyone remembers. It's coming true in Jurassic Park three, which is, which is crazy to me. It's like the first time I've ever realized this, and it's it's fantastic. I love it. Very scary. I, that that part was particularly scary to me. I, um, I I like what you said though about the idea of like humans creating their own cages, and again, kind of adding to. Yeah, like how dumb humans can be sometimes or all the time. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. But I mean, they they obviously have. I I mean, I think they repeatedly show how like there are these good aspects of humans that like rise to the top that that end up having us be able to save ourselves and maybe be potentially like worthy of being, you know, the quote unquote top of the heap. But there are definitely times when it's like, oh man, why did you do that? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah. And then it's like, then like leading to that aspect too, is the idea of like, so the, the Raptors are setting traps, poor Udesky gets taken out. Yeah. Uh, my favorite, like Grant is, Grant is definitely like the ex who drives by your house at night. He's very like, <laughs> you know, he goes to the, he's being like, those aren't real Raptors, like da da da. And then he's just like sitting there, like watching them. He's like, what are you trying to say? You know, like, yeah, <laughs> I just want some fan art of like him holding the boom box up, you know? Oh my gosh. Yeah. No, that's amazing. And then again, like, again, to me also like tying into the like adults at least are dumb. Is that like this kid like rescues Grant, like, throwing smoke grenades and just sort of kind of has this advantage and it's sort of, I really like, I really like Eric. And I like, I think it's, it's funny to me that like, he is like, cool. I'll go with you guys. Like I'll, I'll go with you when he has like this great setup and they have no idea what they're doing. Like those adults are just running around, like getting themselves picked off one by one. And this kid has like a fantastic setup. Like he has like all he needs. He's sitting there like eating chocolate bars while they're getting like brutally murdered by these dinosaurs. And I'm like, I if I was this kid, I would stay exactly where I was. Like he he like I was I, I really like that that 
part because I think there is like all this humans are dumb and we can't really like maybe these raptors, you know, would be the top predators if we, you know, if, if things hadn't gone the way they had. And then you have this kid who, I mean, he clearly has knowledge about these these things like he clearly has read he says you know that he's read all all of the books all of the jurassic park people books you know but he's a fanboy yeah um i mean that's kind of encouraging you know he read all the books and somehow he survived on this island that's true you're right you're right he he brought he know he's brushed up on knowledge of the of his world and yeah it's one of those things where all the kids in these movies are really well read yeah. Yeah, I mean that's great. That's encouraging. But yeah, I think it is that he he's he's the one who saves Alan. I think that's really like again, this like they're trying to go back and forth between this like humans are really dumb and they don't know what they're doing and they're not they're jaded and they're whatever. And then okay, but they're also they have all these great aspects to them where they're they're still trying really hard and like my first thought is like, oh, this kid has died because he just like gave up. Because what do you do? Or I wouldn't know what to do in that situation. And I was probably about the same age as him when I watched this movie and was like, I would die like, yeah. really soon. Um, like as soon as while they're parasailing and, you know, the boat crashes, I'm gone. But he's still out there fighting and you know, surviving, which I think is really like, they're trying to add that, like, okay, like maybe we're not the smartest, but we're persevering, you know? <laughs> well, and, and to your point, I find it perfect then that, um, and again, very much in keeping with Jurassic Park as a whole is like, well, of course the ingenuity of a child is going to save the day. Like, you know, Steven Spielberg kind of, uh, you know, when he adapted from the books and made the, you know, made the first two movies, he, re- I feel like he really believed in um, the like, you know, power of kids and children to sort of rise above and, you know, not just be stupid kids who are helpless, like, but to be able to yeah. hack into the, you know, hack into the, to the park, to be able to do gymnastics and fucking impale a raptor on a spike to, yeah. to be able to collect T-Rex pee to do all that stuff. It's like, again, the, the only hope in, in it comes in the form of children and in, in, um, in this movie in a way, which is, I never yeah. thought of it like that before until you kind of, kind of connected yeah. those dots. I think, Alan and and Ellie at the beginning have that like like in the first one have that like childlike wonder that and that like pure passion for something that and they can in a lot of ways represent that I mean obviously there are the kids but then there's also like they are very like like have this childlike wonder about the park and about when they're seeing the dinosaurs and like all of that is very I mean like that represents that so well and then by the third one you you see that like that's completely gone like he doesn't there's none of that anymore and so there has to be something to kind of not not just 
represent that but like try to bring that back in this character that we loved because I think that's what we love that's one of the things that we love about him is that he does love dinosaurs so much (laughs) and it's not there anymore and that's like kind of devastating but to have this kid try to bring it back up in him is super important I don't know Grant, Eric, Amanda, and Paul are on a boat trying to sail towards the the uh, exterior of the island so that they can get help and maybe get off the island. Um, it's pouring rain. It's dark. Um, there's frightened fish. And Grant's just trying to call Dr. Ellie Sattler. He's like, hey, maybe you can help me, you know, get off this island or something. And so, but that's when... But that, but that's when the Spinosaurus swims up like a crocodile and starts attacking the boat. And, you know, boats flying over, cage, phone is like sliding back and forth between, uh, you know, Grant grabbing it and stuff. But he's calling anyway. And that's when he doesn't get a hold of Ellie. But he gets hold of Ellie's son, uh, Charlie, uh, who's watching Barney. And so it's like, I love you. And then Grant, of course, is just as he's like basically drowning. He's like, take the phone to mommy. It's the dinosaur man. Um, And then, uh, you know, Charlie's like to Ellie. uh, And she's like, oh, my God. Um, Site B, the river or the river site B. Um. Again, as they're in this cage and the Spinosaur is ripping at Amanda and Eric and Grant, Paul swims over to the crane uh, that that is like sitting in the river and like climbs up and he's like trying to use himself as bait. Meanwhile, Grant finds the flare gun and then he fucking sets the river on fire and the Spinosaur is like, Rah! but he's still trying to eat Paul. Um, and then Paul uh, plummets to his doom. He's like, God damn you, Paul. We're a family now. Uh, and he's like, I'm not going anywhere. Uh, the Spinosaurus ran off somehow, I think maybe because of the fire. Whew. And so they take a break. Paul and Amanda and Eric sitting around, you know, um, reminiscing about the good times. And Paul's like, remember when we went fishing and that tow truck driver wanted to knock my lights out? I miss fishing. But they got to keep going on. And so Eric and Alan are uh, chatting and Eric's like, who do what? Like of all the phone calls you could have made, why did you call this woman, Dr. L.A. Sattler? And that's when, you know, Alan's like, hey, like she was the the person that was, you know, who he could count on. And then they hear the ocean. They're so close. But then surprise, the raptors have been following them this whole time because of Billy's pack that has the raptor eggs in him. Even though Billy was sadly chomped to death by pteranodons, but not really. But right now, there are the, these raptors, and you know Grant and Paul and Amanda and Eric are just like, "Oh shit! Like we're only alive because we have the eggs." So then Amanda says to Grant, "Give me the eggs." So then she starts to hand them back to the raptors, and that's when Alan begins playing his raptor flute. Does it work? We don't know. The raptors are spooked by something and run off. So then Grant, Amanda, Eric, and Paul run to the beach. And that's when they see a dude in a suit with a megaphone. And they're all like, that's a very bad idea. And then the military comes in. Hooray. 
it's the American bandstand version of the Jurassic Park theme. And then Alan, realizing his call had been heard, says, God bless you, Ellie. God bless you. God bless you. Because again, they get in that cage and then the water is coming in. And that was like a nightmare that I've always had. Um, so yeah, that that one was, was scary. It was dark and they were trying to call for help and they don't know if it went through. And because Charlie stopped to watch Barney, which was, <laughs> that was so cute. Um, but in the middle of like them drowning or like almost drowning, uh, being stuck in this cage. Um, and you don't want to get out of the cage because there's the monster quote unquote. Um, but yeah, yeah, that, I, that was terrifying. Um, yeah. And like the, is like, as strange, like that contrast of like Charlie just being like, you know, and hearing, oh, I love you and like all that stuff. Like, <laughs> but it like yeah. kind of to me, like rewatching this movie more and more. And, and there is certain periods where this was like my second favorite Jurassic Park movie um, because there's kind of it, thematically to me, it really works of like there's this absurdity of like you could be on an island full of dinosaurs drowning in a river as like this giant creature is snapping at you. And then on the other phone line is like a kid just sitting there watching Barney the dinosaur. And it's like, that can happen at the same time. Amazing. It's just, Oh, I love it. They did. I, I, I always, I really loved that scene because I just thought like, this is great. Like they're, they're trying, they're, they're no, they know that they're ridiculous. And I think this is, I mean, I love movies like this. Um, so it makes sense that, that I love this movie, but I mean, they know that they're ridiculous and they know that they're like slightly dumb and cheesy, but they're like going with it. Yeah. The campiness. I think there's, yeah. There's such a, there's such a like place where if you, where you can't like, where I think like, legit just sounds so cheesy but like movie magic stuff happens of like we know we're we're embracing this and i think there's like a point when you can be ridiculous and if you are in it and everyone's there with you like that is a really magical place to be and that scene is like i don't know i think that's one of them for me no that that's really cool yeah it's like the peak the peak campiness sort of perfectly aligns with what the movie is trying to do and say and it actually like it's all in sync and then it's like yeah it's perfect in that way it's like the perfect distillation of the whole movie is kind of this scene where you know on one phone line it's a kid watching barney and on the other end there's a bunch of people being attacked by a dinosaur in the river in the rain yeah, and it makes sense. Like they make it make sense in the movie. I kind of forgot in the scene right after this. Like, you know, we think Paul is dead, but you know, he's he's fine. And he's like, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> like, it's yeah. it's so charming the way he comes back. He's not like I'm alive. He's just like, 
like, oh, geez, what are you talking about? You know, I wasn't eaten by a dinosaur, you know, like he was like waiting for a le- like waiting for a line too. like he could have been like, guys, I'm still alive. Don't worry. But he like waits for her to say like the perfect intro line. And then he's like, well, hey, guys, and you're like, OK, like, sure. He he would do that, too. He's that kind of guy who wants to try. Yeah, and- I love that. He totally is is not above something like that. Um, you mentioned that Paul is your favorite character in this movie. Um, right. So I, I guess, you know, in this scene, it's like he's the one that takes. Sure, it's Grant that fires the the flare. But, you know, Paul kind of it, to me, this scene is almost like Paul kind of realizing that, like, he's only good as bait, you know, like that's his contribution. He's like, look, I can't be the strong muscled hero who fires oh, the gun. Okay. I can't I can't be I can't, you know. I'm not smart. You know, I don't have my wits about me, but you know what? I can offer myself as bait to save my family. And maybe, Mm. you know what? Maybe that's also heroic, you know? Interesting. I think the exact opposite of you. This will be interesting. Let's, should we get into this? Should we talk about this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. That's, that's the exact opposite. Okay. Interesting. Cause okay. Let's think about the beginning of the movie after they hit the island, right? Paul Kirby is like some, you know, guy who gets pushed around, shoved around. He's lying to the people. He's like, yeah, I, I did this cool thing. I climbed the mountain. Oh, wait, no, I'm just lying. I'm just some Peyton Tyler worker, right? And then, like, halfway during the movie, he has, like, this switch. It's like, oh, my son is here. I'm willing to risk the lives of these people to save my son. My wife is divorced from me. And, like, they have this little moment, Paul and Amanda, right, when, uh, when, when Ben falls into uh, uh, Amanda's like body, the skeleton thing, and like they like they're hugging it out, it's like it's not Ben Paul, it's Eric. He's out here all by himself, and I, I think that kind of you know wakes up Paul Kirby. He's like, my son is on this island by himself, and no one else here is gonna help him. Paul, like, the other guys are trying to get off the island. My wife is, you know, she's she's you know she's looking for him. But who's going to take charge? It's going to be Paul Kirby, right? You know? Like, he has a switch. And, like, he becomes, like, this this force. And then one moment I found very interesting. i got to put my family back together again, right? So he, he sacrifices himself or, you know, potentially sacrifices himself so that the others can get away and find Eric. Eric has to get to safety, right? And the only way that that could happen is if he risks his life for his ex-wife and his son. By the end of the movie, he's sacrificing himself. He's taking charge to save his family, to save his son, to, you know, give him a chance to get away. And that ultimately pays off in, like, he almost dies. And then, you know, it just shows, like, the every man is what Jurassic Park is about. Yeah. No, I love, I love Taylani, like, with a burning passion in my soul. Like, I just, I love her. And this character is really like i've i love i love this character but it's 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 a really tough one to love <laughs> and that she's she's so ridiculous in so many aspects but that like this scene is so good like Taya's is so good in it because she really like i feel like she doesn't too much get to be like the alpha female but she like has this moment where she's like give me the egg like i this is handled and i i just i think she does such a good job in that scene like 
that it and 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 part of it like makes me sad that we don't get to see more of that throughout the movie because you kind of which makes sense for the kind of movie it is but like the more that i think about her character the more i kind of yeah, it's like you almost want more badass moments from her, but I find it she's so much she's so complex in a weird way. And I'm almost like thinking about her role now. It's like she's like the only character that actually learns anything. It's like she's been kind of like doing the wrong thing, doing the wrong thing here and there, but then it's almost like she's the only one like paying attention so that by the end she she like kind of knows what to do. Yeah. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that. But yeah, yeah. And she, yeah, it does seem like whenever she, like, she kind of survived by accident. Like, she kind of does things, and sometimes they work out. Which, which I think is an like an important character. Like, it's it's important to have lots of different diverse female characters, and she definitely doesn't fit along with the the typical Jurassic Park women. But I think that, like, she does have this, like, intense bravery. Like, obviously, she was like, my kid's on this island. Like, I'm going. Like, I don't care. And then, like, her boyfriend dies. Or she finds that he's dead, which is, like, really traumatic. But she, like, is like, no, I'm on this mission to save my kid. And, like, no matter the cost, no matter, like, my own personal safety, no matter anything, like, I'm going to find my kid and get him off this island and like that is such a important I don't know like I think it's a it's a really strong characteristic of her to have and then like through the scene by scene she kind of is like accidentally doing things that seem to keep her alive um but in that moment there's a very there's 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 this very strong like this mother came on this island to save her kid and she was going to, she was going to save her kid. And I like that. She's like, she has that like power in this moment of like, yeah, I'm the type of person who would go do this to save my kid. And like, I'm going to be here right now. I'm going to save you guys. I'm going to save my kid again from from these raptors like because this is it and like this is the moment and uh, that's really cool yeah we don't give her enough credit what the fuck yeah come on yeah. jurassic park community now i'm all fired I, up yeah always <laughs> um and then i kind of just like as the final button i just kind of like the the surreal image of this guy in a suit on a beach <laughs> and they're like <laughs> that's a very bad I, I kind of the again the absurdity and the humor of like this kind of callback to people shouting yeah. in megaphones is so funny to me yeah well like you were saying like she she learns and I guess like it's such a, a representation of them all like of what they've they've all learned at the end of this of being like don't don't yell anymore <laughs> if we've learned one thing from this movie Right. Like this is like second one, but yeah, it is. It's so absurd, but it's so funny. And I, I think that's a great, that's a great ending to this absurd and funny movie. <laughs> to me, it's, it's the, 
ultimate Jurassic Park experience. Like, Jurassic Park is my favorite movie of all time, and nothing's gonna ever come close to that ever again. Star Wars can come close, but it's Jurassic Park for number one. But if someone says, which movie do you recommend for me to see? It's always gonna be Jurassic Park 3. And I have to give them like an hour of explanation why, but it doesn't matter. It's still the ultimate movie because it gives it gives all of Jurassic Park's themes. It gives what you want from dinosaurs. It gives you the perfect experience of what Jurassic Park can be. It leaves you with this huge uh, like emotional impact, these beautiful character moments, these arcs, the, the action too if you want that, in this short hour and a half little bundle of fun you know it's the ultimate jurassic park experience in my opinion i i imagine the kirby's getting back together having like one lovely family again they move to oklahoma have a lovely time thanksgiving fishing and all that fun stuff again you know paul kirby fights with some other truck drivers because he pulled their cars into the lake um and then i i just imagine you know alan grant going back to uh going back to ellie and just professing Whatever, whatever he didn't profess the first time or something, I don't know. Like, and then whenever Jurassic Park six or Jurassic World three, four, whatever comes out, we're gonna have Ali, Ellie Sattler, and Alan Grant together, the way it's meant to be. You're holding out hope. Uh yeah, we have to, man. We gotta, we gotta hold out hope. We have to. It's just that it's the only one that has a three. And I was trying to justify the three when I was watching it. I was looking for, like, if, like, the concept of something three is in it. Yeah. It's not really. Well, I would say. And or is there? Well, I, now I want to. I'm writing this down so we can. This is. So. Um, to save the convention. Well. Well, I would say Jurassic Park 3's name makes sense because it's the most, like, B-movie, schlocky, mm. pulpy sequel of Jurassic Park, as we have right in front of us. Mm. Um, but I would also say the three groups of predators in the movie represent the past, present, and future of how people view dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. Where it's like you have the Spinosaurus, like the big monster. Yeah. Um, the Pteranodons are, like, the present like moment um and then you have the raptors which are like the evolution of dinosaurs into yeah. these like evolved forms right right right, right so right. there's the threeness there i feel I mean, like it's a stretch i'll take it i'll take it <laughs> nope i'll take it it feels it definitely feels like a stretch but. yeah because it doesn't necessarily only mean that it's the third one it's the concept of the three as you just described past present and future exactly the holy trinity of the kirby family yep <laughs> You know, there's the we could there's the whole the trinity of the different camps that are together. You have the the mercenaries, mm-hmm. and then you have um, Alan Grant and Billy are the scientists. Yep, of course. And then you have the family. Yeah, the civilians. Yeah, the civilians. So then you have those three. Yeah. Shit, I, I think, think it. I think it works. <laughs> there you go. And it yeah, Jurassic Park three isn't just randomly deciding to start using a number. It means something. It means many things. It means many things. Jurassic Park Trinity, you might even want to call it. And and I, and I probably got a different, probably got something different out of it when I was younger. But seeing it now, especially after 
rewatching the the first two and seeing it in context of you know being the ending of this trilogy having Alan start out so jaded and then kind of get back to the beauty and this thing that he loved and not not just the beauty but but recognizing like the the negative parts but at the end it's a very like it's a complex thing and they're yes they try to eat you but also like you know they they're beautifully flying by the plane and they are like these wonderful magnificent creatures and they're they're super complex just like his love and passion for them is and i feel like he kind of gets that back at the end this pure love for something that makes you do kind of crazy things i don't know he's a he's sort of he's now accepting chaos in a way ah uh, yes i like that yeah i think yeah he it's it lets him live the rest of his life whether or not that takes him into still doing the thing that he is doing or you know try, trying to change careers at however old he is but i feel like he he kind of reconciles these two aspects of him and he by the end of the movie like he's in a he's in a good place i'm not maybe not maybe not a good place oh <laughs> no i think he's that's very sweet not negative place as he was at the beginning yeah and Oh, I don't know. I like that. That's very sweet. This has been Episode 7 of Sea Jurassic Right. My guests on this week's episode and future episodes were Assis Sandu, you can follow him on Twitter at Assisman, Brittany Mason, you can follow her on Twitter at BMace, Heather Mason, you can follow her on Twitter at NerdHeather, Christina Nielsen, you can follow her on Twitter at It's the Wombat, Jess Uncle, you can follow her on Twitter at Cylon, Chris Bermonte, you can follow him on Twitter at Amantioch, Annie Wilkes, you can follow her on Twitter at Andelka Wilkes, and Simon Nathan, you can follow her on Twitter at Simon Nathan. Plus, a big thanks to the Alan Grant players for getting weird with me at the beginning of this episode. You can check out Who's Who in the show notes. While episode 8 drops one month from today, it's our Christmas episode. Be on the lookout for a mini-sode dropping next Tuesday. I'll be playing voicemails and reading emails sent in from listeners like you. Also be on the lookout for future mini-sodes and special segments as well. And now, you can support Sea Jurassic Right on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Right. You'll get tons of exclusive content, bonus mini-sodes, ASMR videos, all that good stuff. Really appreciate it. Check it out, patreon.com slash Right. Now, I have two questions for you. If you want to tweet at me, call in, or leave a voicemail before next month's show, these questions are 
Where do you think the franchise would go after this film? And would you want to live in a world where dinosaurs roam free? 65 million years of waiting Well, oh yeah Well, all right Well, oh yeah Now you can also interact with me and the show by following me on Twitter at Stephen Ray Morris and following SJRPod on Twitter, See Jurassic Ride on Instagram, See Jurassic Ride on Facebook, or you can send me an email at seejurassicride at gmail.com. Not only am I looking forward to talking to people about their Jurassic Park experiences and hearing yours, but I also am going to be sharing ephemera from my childhood and, oh God, I'm going to share the fan fiction uh, on there as well and pictures and toys and everything. It's going to be great. And I wanted to thank Caitlin Thompson and Tim Ruggery at ACAST, Molly McAleer, Heather Mason, Stephanie Cook, Sarah Iyer, and you. See Jurassic Right is an ACAST podcast. Check out the show on their mobile app. And thank you for listening. Until next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.